Welcome everybody to the Nerdpool Podcast with the fat fool who loves Deadpool, your host, Jamie. The water's fine. Come on in. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nerdpool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me. It's me. It's a JMIE, your 87th favorite podcast host. And as always, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking the two biggest, littlest heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right. We're talking Ant-Man and the Wasp, giving my review on it. So for everybody out there going ahead, you do know spoilers will be given. I am the spoiler king. I spoil stuff without even knowing I'm spoiling it half the time. So just until you've seen the movie, I wouldn't listen to this podcast. Or just listen to this podcast and then go enjoy the movie anyway because it's not that big of a deal unless you ruin Star Wars or The Avengers or something like that. Then, if I may quote Chris Jericho, you just made the list. But back what I'm saying, the, the movie, the movie's okay. This movie is not the best movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This movie, however, is fun. It is fun. It has a lot of comedic timing in it. Paul Rudd, again, kills it and is amazing in his portrayal of Ant-Man. In this, we have Angeline, excuse me, Evangeline Lilly. I, I know I'm booking your name, I'm sorry. Returning, we also have Michael Douglas. We have Michelle Pfeiffer coming to this movie, as is Lawrence Fishburne. We have the returning Michael Pena. We have the villain of the movie, played by Hannah John Kamen, Komen, Kaiman. I'm terrible at names if you haven't garnered this yet. And T.I. returns, and we also have the... MCU debut of Asian Jim. If you watch The Office, you know what I'm talking about. Asian Jim. Starting off, this movie has, there's really no need for a villain. The villain's kind of wasted in this movie. We're just going to jump right into it right off the bat. It's not that the villain's a bad villain. It's just that the villain's not really a villain in this. Um, Spoilers going on again. But the ghost character isn't trying to take over the world. She's not trying to take over a city. She's not even trying to kill Ant-Man and the Wasp or anything like that. She's trying to save herself from dying. And she's not trying to harm anybody in doing it. The only person you might say she's trying to harm in this is Michelle Pfeiffer's character, which is the mother of Wasp and Michael Douglas's wife in this, which is Hank Pym's wife. And we don't even... we we're, the film i mean we know she's alive we get told that she's alive but you don't know how this is going to react or how this is going to work if you bring her out of the quantum realm and i say that quantum realm and i say the the word quantum again for the third time and i'm fixing to say quantum for the fourth time because that's kind of what this movie is and they even allude to it in part of dialogue they say quantum realm and quantum that six times I've said it and we are not even four minutes in what is wrong with me oh that's right because I'm writing like this the the movie they say that word so many times that at one point 
Paul Rudd's character actually says, do you guys just put the word quantum in front of everything? Because that's kind of what it feels like. It's like that word gets thrown around and used so much, and they're trying to use it to explain and expedite scientific dialogue to set up what goes on later on, but sometimes the word just seems like it's overused. Side note again, very hot outside where I'm at. If you hear the AC kick on, I do apologize, but I am refusing to sweat my gorgeous, gorgeous curvy body off for the sake of this. I know they say pain helps art, but come on now. Anyway, back to what I was saying. So, the ghost character is basically a girl who was the daughter of a scientist that worked with Hank Pym, uh, Michael Douglas's character, and Lawrence Fishburne's character in S.H.I.E.L.D., and he was supposedly discredited and fired by Pym for basically challenging Pym on certain aspects of his scientific knowledge and some of his renderings at S.H.I.E.L.D. It's said that uh, Pym says that this isn't true. We don't really know the backstory because Hank Pym is kind of a dick and Michael Douglas is kind of a dick in this, so... I mean, I could kind of see it if he would blackball somebody. However, as he was trying experiments at home to basically make give his name credit again and make people realize that he's not a quack and not somebody who's just out for himself, he's trying to actually build something. And as he does, it malfunctions, it blows, and his daughter, who he tries to make leave with his wife, runs back to save him because she didn't want her daddy to be alone. And she gets caught in the blast, and basically her molecules are disbanding and reattaching constantly. So she's able to phase through walls and through the ground, you know, through objects, people, cars, everything. She's able to phase. And then to the shield then goes on to say, we'll help you to cure this if you become a weapon for us. So they train her to be an assassin as she goes on secret missions, killing people constantly. And I, I I never get how this works. I understand people get desperate too. People get desperate when they're in apps like this and they, they see these issues and they want them fixed. So people get desperate and will do anything. But you know for a fact that if a government agency comes to you and says, hey, we'll cure you if you do these missions using the powers that, you, that we are saying we're going to cure you, they ain't going to cure you, boo-boo. They are not going to cure you. And I know this is a movie and I'm putting way too much into this. You know, that's just how it goes. But anyway, so she spends the entire movie just trying to get the tech that Hank Pym has put together to try to save his wife from the quantum realm, Seven. And she is trying to use that same tech to basically steal the life force from his wife who's stuck in the quantum realm, Eight, to fix her. And so, again, she's not a bad person. She's not doing it for any, you know evil gain or, or, you know, financial gain or anything. She just doesn't want to die. She's a young woman. She doesn't want to die. She wants to be normal. And Lawrence Fishburne's character is trying to help her in that. And at first, you're kind of led to believe that he's, while he's trying to help her, he's going against Hank, he's doing it for the right reasons. Because at one point, when they lose everything, and she says that the way they can get to him is Scott Lang, which is Paul Rudd's character, he has a daughter, and Florence Fishburne tells her, you're not doing that. If you lay one finger on that little girl, I will not help you. Basically, he's saying, like, I know I'm going to help you, but we're not going to resort to that. We're not going that far. So, basically, there's no villain in this movie. The villain is basically kind of the government. 
stopping Hank Pym and his daughter from saving his wife, which they don't even know about. But we do find out that uh, Scott Lang has been on house arrest this whole time. That's why he was not in the Avengers. They alluded to that in the Avengers Infinity War, but a lot of people didn't understand where he was at or why he wasn't there. That's why they said he was on house arrest. He was there for two years. And so we spend the time with him as he spends time with his daughter and tries to run a new security uh, consultant company all from home on house arrest. The scene with him and his daughter when you first see them together is really sweet. It's really fun as he creates a whole maze and, you know, story of trying to find a secret treasure, going through battles, basically being Ant-Man, shrinking and getting caught bigger. And it's just a sweet moment of a guy with his daughter whom he loves spending time. It's, it's something that's very sweet. And then we see the, the prize at the end of it, which is a trophy that she had gotten for him because he's the world's greatest grandma. It was funny. It's funny. She said that's the only one they had. But the the dynamic of him and his daughter in this one is great. And him and his ex-wife and his ex-wife's new husband, who is a police officer, it's all... They've grown so much, and it, it works so well. Paul Rudd is an amazing, amazing choice for this role because he brings he brings such a a, a blue-collar and earnest um, portrayal to the role, in my opinion, and I think that he's like an everyman. You know, he, he's an everyman who just wanted, from the first one, he just wanted, you know, to make a better life for his daughter and to help out the little people who were getting screwed over by the big people, by, by, you know, the big corporations, and it landed him in trouble. And he's not a bad guy. He's never been a bad guy. He's always just tried to help in these movies. And in this, it's no different. He's the king of one-liners in this. He, you know, he's the the comic relief as well as the as well as the focal point. We get to see a lot of the Hank Pym particle being used to shrink cars and buildings and and make pepper or salt shakers very big. You know, we get to see a lot of what's going on and what makes everything work within Hank Pym's what he's used for his tech for and some of it is kind of ridiculous they 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 the building where he has all of his tech that he's trying to build to bring his wife out of the quantum realm nine is it, it's a very cool looking lab but he shrinks the building down and it has a retractable um um you know that thing that's on luggage handle good lord I'm sorry people I don't, you should know, I just brain farted, it just happened. But the one thing I don't get is when he shrinks the building, there are wheels on it. So he carry, you know, he can pull the building with him, and it's like a little luggage. But when he grows the building, where are the wheels? Where's the wheels, Marvel? I need to know where the wheels are on this building. I never thought that that would be a question of my life, but is it has annoyed me since I've seen this movie, is where are the wheels on the building when he when he grows the building? Do they go into the building? Are they beside the building? Do they get so heavy they go underground? What are the wheels made out of? Because if they're plastic, it's a lot of plastic to try to hold up tons of steel and concrete. I may be thinking too much into this again, but come on, guys. This is little oversight that for some reason, just every time I saw it, I was like, where are the damn wheels? Anyway, before I get on the tangent again, I'm sorry. I, I apologize to all the chimichangas and tacos out there. You know, for all the wheel talk, but you know, it, it just that that one aspect, it just it boggles my mind more than the than anything the Quantum Realm nine or excuse me ten 
anything more than the Quantum Realm 10 could ever fascinate me with. Anyway, they find out that Paul Rudd's character has a antenna basically built into him that Hank Penn's wife put there to communicate with him when she could, when the Quantum Realm was open. We find that with a dream he has when he first tries to get in touch with Hank Pym and Hope because he cannot legally talk to them without violating his house arrest and probation. And if he does, he will be sent to jail for 20 years. Obviously, he does not want to do this as his daughter and him are just getting a relationship back to where he can see her. He is three days away from being off house arrest. And it's... And so he contacts them because of the dream, and that's when they find out that he has a connection to Hank Pym's wife and that he can find her in the Quantum Realm 11. And it becomes... It was, it's a funny segment when she actually takes over and she's helping through Scott Lang to program the whole machine. And there's a joke that I think they really missed because Paul Rudd does this part very well of talking with a feminine tone to his voice, using his normal voice. He doesn't change his voice, but he's talking like a loving wife or a loving mother would as he looks at Hope, calls her Jelly Bean, and she's talking to Michael Douglas, Hank Pym, and he's saying, you know, our first fight in 30 years, and it's over this quick. You know, it's it's a, it's very kind of touching because it's a little reunion that's not a reunion. But there's a part where they figure out where she's at, and she grabs Hope's hand, and they're holding hands. She kiss, and he kisses Hope on the head, you know, and calls her Jelly Bean. And I really think they missed an opportunity for a joke here, as if he'd have leaned in to kiss Michael Douglas's character, it would have been hilarious. Like I, I'm not, a, I'm not a writer. You know, I'm not, I'm not really a writer. I dabble, but I'm not a, I'm not a movie writer. But I really do think that they missed an opportunity for a, a funny joke that would have gotten. A, a, a good number of laughs but that's neither here nor there moving on uh, we will say this again Hank Pym's character and this is kind of a dick he treats Scott Lang kind of ridiculously he treats him like a redheaded stepchild like he did in the first one I mean we all know that while he likes Scott Lang he doesn't really care for Scott Lang and the interactions between him and Paul Rudd and Hope is and I'm only calling her Hope because saying her name, I butcher it so much. So, I'm just calling her Hope. Um, with the interactions with them three is great. When they go to the school to retrieve the original Ant-Man costume from the World's Greatest Grandma Cup that his daughter has took to show and tell, it is hilarious with his new suit malfunctioning and growing him and shrinking him. And when they finally kind of fix it, he's shrink, shrunk to the size of a, a a kid that is, you know, five, six years old. Seeing Paul Rudd in this oversized sweatsuit or sweat jacket running uh, like a child jumping in, it's, it's one of the funnier parts. And Hope coming, come on, guy, come on, big guy, you can do it, big guy. It's funny because she's basically talking down to him. It's fun. It's It's really... It's this movie's hilarious, and I think that's the heart of this movie. As they didn't have a, a like I said, a villain to go in that you're you're supposed to really hate. They, this movie needed something else, and that something else is humor and the story of 
a man who's trying to redeem himself and he's trying to redeem himself yet be a great father, not go to jail as he tries to help a woman who he's he has feelings for and someone who has helped him achieve what he wanted to be, which was a hero and save people. He's trying to help them in their quest to be reunited with their mother slash wife. And it's it's a great story of just them with a little sidetrack of a quote unquote villain story put into it. Now, the few things is Michelle Pfeiffer's character has been lost in the quantum realm twelve for a long thirty years. I don't know how she survived in the quantum realm twelve, but it's I mean, I guess because she's in the the healing aspect of it. There's quantum energy thirteen that is has a healing factor, and that's what um, the villain is trying to use to help herself fix her molecules and be together and be stuck together. But they finally pull her out, and before they do, they do the flashback of her. Of them actually losing, and when she went into the Quantum Realm 14, and you see some funny things. And the reason I say this is because Michael Douglas's character has been de-aged by CG. He wasn't the first one, and I'm pretty sure he was here too. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was de-aged here too. Lawrence Fishburne was de-aged to look younger. Michelle Pfeiffer, they put a brown wig on her and said you're young that's that seems to be it like they just put a brown wig on her and said hey you're 30 years old everybody else we're going to CG young but we're going to make you look young with just a wig and Michelle Pfeiffer still a beautiful woman she still you know looks about the same as she did she's a little older but she still looks about the same so maybe they didn't need to do all that but it just I thought that was funny that they're willing to go all this extra route for Michael Douglas and Lawrence Fishburne and all these other characters, but with Michelle Fire, like I just put a brown wig on her. That that it, it it gave me a chuckle to see that. It also gave me a chuckle when we find out that Scott Lang's routine during the day is nine hours of sleep, five hours of TV watching, four or two hours in the bathroom, which we don't even want to know about. He likes to drum on his drum set. He likes to do puzzles, and he's trying to run a company. With his partner, Michael Pena, and T.I., but Michael Pena returns to Michael Pena's glory as Michael Pena's character, Luis, as he tells the story of Ant-Man and the Wasp in only, the only way he knows how, and that is telling it through his eyes of what exactly happened. If you have not seen this from the first one, go back and watch the first one. You'll see how great of a job he does. And all I wanted was for him to recap the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe doing this character. But he does that under truth serum. We get to see him pick a ride out of the Hot Wheels car to deliver the remote that drives the building with wheels that doesn't have wheels when it becomes a big building. And he chooses a Hyundai Elantra that's pimped out with side pipes and rims and purple and flame stickers and it's funny, but somebody's going to say that it's racist. I, I know it's coming. Someone is going to say that him picking the Carol car he picked, even though it's a Hot Wheels car, if you were a kid or if you're now could bring any Hot Wheels to life, you're going to probably take the most over-the-top thing you can pick 
and drive it because it's a freaking Hot Wheels car. But I know somebody's going to take that as him being Latino and him saying, oh, I got to have this car because it's a stereotypical Latino car. I'm not getting on that. I'm sorry for going on that tangent, but I just I feel it's coming. Anyway, he seems like he's having the most fun in these movies. Michael Pena's character, Luis, in these movies seem like he is just having a ball, like everything's exciting to him. Even when things aren't going well in the, the, the security consultant company that they've started, he still seems like he's having fun. And that's why we love this character. Because this guy is not taking anything seriously. He's making jokes. He's he seems like any of us would be. We're just happy to be there, you know. If he wants, he's just saying he wants to be a hero, then you know he'd love to have a suit like that man, you know. Maybe with minimal powers, or even no powers. Maybe just a suit, you know, and just wear it. Yeah. When you hear him say that, you're gonna laugh. And then the post-credit scene, which is going to tie this movie to Avengers and gives us. A glimpse of what's coming with Ant-Man. Spoiler alert again. As we go into Ant-Man... Well, excuse me. Let me back it up. I'm jumping ahead of myself. They pulled Michelle Pfeiffer's character out of the Quantum Realm 14. They pulled Michelle Pfeiffer's character out of the Quantum Realm 15. And they've basically... They're they're going through the whole spiel of... You know, saying they love her. And, you know, they missed her in 30 years. And she's kissing and hugging everybody. And then the ghost walks in, and Michelle Fiber puts her hands on it, and basically puts her hands on her head and heals her somehow with magical healing quantum 15 powers. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, it's supposed to be from the healing factor, I guess. But anyway, so later on you have Hank Pym, you have Hope, and you have Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and they're all going to send Scott Lang into the Quantum Realm 16 to get the Quantum Healing 17. And you're going to make the, you know, they're going to bring it back so they can help other people and help her completely. And they send him in there, and he gathers it, and he says, pull me back. Hello, pull me back. We go out, and we see dust floating. So they're gone. So Ant-Man's trapped in the Quantum Realm 18. He's trapped in the time healing factor of it. And we're left wondering, how's he going to get out? She tells him before she goes, don't go down a wormhole. Don't go down a time hole. Because we're gonna, we, can't, we could lose you and not be able to pull you back. He's going to go into one of these. And he's going to go back in time. I don't know how far. But that's how they're going to leave him into Infinity Wars. This tied beautifully and that was one of the best parts of it is them tying into infinity war i know that i've rambled on about this movie i know i've said quantum 19 way too many times it's a fun movie and it's it's hysterical it doesn't have the heart that ant-man one did it doesn't have the heart of a lot of mcu movies because there's no real villain in it it's ant-man trying to stop someone from helping their self. So it's kind of like Ant-Man and them are kind of the villain because this she, girl just wants to help herself to live and she's not trying to hurt anybody or she doesn't think she's trying to hurt anybody. And it's not like they're giving her like the Thanos or 
the Purple Man from Jessica Jones or Loki or anything where they think they're right and they're doing about the wrong way. She's just trying to live and not die. And she's not trying to take over the world. She, she just wants a normal life. So how can you really call her a villain if her whole goal in life is just to be normal and leave a normal life? Another food for thought. Ant-Man and the Wasp, go see it. It's a Marvel movie. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have a fun time. You won't regret it. You've, you're not, you don't regret any Marvel movies when you go see them. Some are better than others, but you're not going to regret any of it. This one's going to be a laugh riot. You're going to laugh your butt off, and you're going to enjoy all of it. And that's just all we're going to do. So thank you for listening to the Quantum 20. I had to get 20 out. I had to at least get 20 out. Thank you for listening to the Nerdpool podcast. Thank you for sharing, liking, for all the feedback. Uh, go follow me on Instagram at Nerdpool Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Nerdpool Pod. Follow me on Twitch at Nerdpool Gaming. Live podcasting is coming soon. I am working out the kinks now. I am a novice at all this, as you pretty much know from listening. But I am working this out, and I will be live podcasting soon. Come hang out with me. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. We can just enjoy each other's company because that's all this is. It's us getting to know each other. So once again, go like, share, subscribe, listen to every episode, binge watch it. I'm at past 50 now and it's because of you guys that I've gotten to where I'm at. You guys are all amazing to me and I say it every week and I say it after every show because it is 100% true. Without you guys, this would not be possible. And I would not be able to continue to bring you the great content that I do. You guys are amazing. So that's Nerdpool for this week. Until next time, see ya, Quantum 21.